For those of you who've been here the last few weeks, uh, even though we're supposed to be in the year of Mark, we get great bits of John's Gospel, particularly the last part of it in these few weeks before uh, the end of Easter and we have the Pentecost season. So this is from the last part of Jesus, uh, or the middle part, sorry, of Jesus' last uh, discourse with his disciples, the long couple of chapters where he talks about what he's, what's happening to him and what's going to happen. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer, because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends, because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last so that the Father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I'm giving you these commands so that you may love one another. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. As I said, these are Jesus' last words and in the ancient world, the last words of a person were always seen to be the most important things they could ever say. And they were often recorded, um, sometimes uh, embellished, and we don't really understand uh, how much of this Jesus actually said. Did he say it all in one chunk, like we've got it? Or did he say it in bits and pieces? And the the author of John, who's crafted a very uh, carefully worded document, has put them together. But what is important is that John believes that Jesus wants us to know these things, that they're central. And the focus of what he wants us to know around this is the idea of trusting or abiding. Over 30 times in just the few verses that we've had, the same Greek word is used. So what do we, why is this important and what does he want us to know about it? Well, we, we understand about abiding. One of the ways I often think about it is uh, an old gentleman that I used to know who uh, was quite ill and not easy, found it easy to move around. And for him, the great joy of his life was to be in the midst of his chaotic family. And look, they were all crazy. I used to know them and they would, they were noisy, they were loud, the kids were running everywhere, the, his, I think even some of his great grandchildren, but he loved it. His, his hearing was going a bit, so maybe that was why he enjoyed it so much, because he didn't hear as much chaos as everyone else. But I was this picture of him just sitting in the midst of this, and people would come up and give him things, and, and the kids would come up and make him read them stories, and he was in the, he was just not doing anything. He didn't have a job to do. He wasn't well enough to get up and help cook or move the table around for evening meals or whatever. He was there in the middle of it. And that's where he belonged. That's always been the image in my mind of what it means to abide, just to be present. And, and Jesus is quite clear about this. He's, he's very specific because he doesn't just say you need to just sort of be around. 
but you need to abide or stay present in my love. And you can only stay present in something that you're already in. We know lots of, some of us will know people who've been in quarantine because of COVID. They're present. They can't go anywhere else. But you can only stay in quarantine if you're in quarantine. You know, you've got to be there, right? You've got to begin something. Well, the question then comes, well, how do you get into Jesus' love? And this is where our religious tendencies tend to kick in. We like to think, well, there are things that you can do. There are a series of things you must believe. There are a series of things you must do. And if you're a good Christian boy growing up like I was, there was a whole pile of things you must not do. And they were all the things I was really kind of keen on. So I never quite, you know, well, I was keen on at least figuring out whether I was keen on them. They were certainly fascinating. But Jesus doesn't say, believe in me. He didn't even say at this point, as he did to many of the disciples at the beginning of the gospel, follow me. He just says, abide. And what he talks about is his commandment. Now, he could mean here, this is his rule or his law or his order, like we would receive from a boss or from the army. Except that later Jesus says, You're no longer servants in the world, or slaves is a much better term for it. You're friends. So I'm not sure that he's meaning commandment in that way. It's much more likely, I think, because it's a a word so resonant in Hebrew culture that he's talking about the great commandments. He's referring to what we call the Ten Commandments, which are, if you read this week's little um, article in the Clayton, They're basically the post-it notes of Hebrew faith. They're the little one-liners that remind you of something far behind it. I don't know if you have to endure um, uh, PowerPoints uh, at some sort of events, but um, they'll often start with a... I mean, you might be enjoying it, who knows? You, You start with a line and then all this text magically appears underneath because this is the headline, but he is filling it out. So when the Ten Commandments say, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, they're just headlines. They're not rules to be obeyed in a very narrow, restrictive sense. They're headlines of a whole way of being a person, of a whole way of being a nation. Yes, the call is not to murder or not to commit adultery. That's true, but underneath it is a whole way of being. It's part of something bigger. These are just the headlines to tell us how to live. It's what I often say, it's more law, L-O-R-E, than law, L-A-W. It's a story of a world and a life. Jesus is reaching into his culture and talking about the whole way of God being in the world and the, the world being a part of God and saying, here's a way of living in the world. Jesus is not saying, this is my commandment, law, rule or do this and obey it he's saying this is my world this is my culture this is my way of seeing the world and I see it as love as the father has loved me so I love you live remain stay abide in my love and of course we know that Jesus uses the term father as an intimate way of saying, this is the way the world truly is. The Father is the all-encompassing, all-embracing, 
energy of reality and it encompasses and it embraces me and I encompass and embrace you. Live in that experience. Abide in that reality. 1 John, which is the allied letter that goes with the Gospel of John, written either by the same person or by the same community, says we love because God first loved us. The energy comes from the divinity, from God, from the universe. This is Jesus' whole worldview, his whole assumption about the way things are. So as somebody comes towards Jesus, his assumption isn't, this person is out to get me. I better keep on my best behaviour because they might criticise me or this person is somebody I can use to get what I want. His whole assumption is here coming towards me is an aspect, an, a, a, an experience of God. Think about that for a minute. Here coming towards me is God in the world, present. Imagine what the world would look like if we did that. I'm not even sure my brain can take that in, how I would approach even people I love deeply, let alone a stranger walking down the street. But this is the assumptions Jesus is making about the world. It's the entire, entire structure of the world is built on love. It's like being a fish in water. It's just that's the way the world is. And so Jesus is going to operate that way. That's why some of what he does and says seems so strange to us because we don't often come from the same assumptions about the world. It's like saying, how do you go about experiencing the sun? But you don't go about experiencing, you just do. You can pretend that you're not. Nobody cares. You can hide yourself away from it. It seems sad. But you can't actually, because it's everywhere. It's what in, it, it's what infuses everything on our planet with the energy that it needs to be alive. You can pay attention to the experience. It, just before we started, the sun came out through the clouds. It was wonderful. Maybe it'll be out there again later today and you can go out and you can enjoy it. Or you can forget it and either way, you're still going to experience it. You're still going to get all the great benefits that the sun has by being alive. You can't make yourself do it. It just is. That's the worldview that Jesus is coming from. It's so different to us that it's hard to imagine that somebody could live this way. Jesus has already said, look, when I'm lifted up, he says this in a couple of chapters previous, and we could go on a side here, but it's, it's John's gospel seems to think that Jesus knows more about what's going to happen to him than any of the other gospels do. He seems to have an insight into what's going to happen. So when he says, when I am lifted up, you get that sense that he thinks this is what's going to happen to him. He's going to be crucified. And he says, when I'm lifted up, I'm going to draw all people to me. Well, why does he say that? Well, because the sun, when the sun shines, all people, everything on earth benefits from it. It just is the way the world is. It's what Jesus, how Jesus sees the world. Remember the very first story in John's Gospel? There's a wedding and there's new wine. Who gets the new wine in the first story? The people who believe Jesus? Well, there aren't too many at that point. Even his mum's not sure what's going on. No, everybody. Everybody at the wedding gets great new wine. And it's not only new wine, it's the best wine ever. Better than all the other wine. And everyone gets it. 
not because they've been good or bad or they, they just, it just all goes to everyone. Even the ones who have no idea what's going on. Who, and John takes this message up a little subtly all the way through. Who doesn't know what's going on? The people in charge. They haven't got a clue. Who knows what's going on? The slaves who've taken the water jars. Go home and read it. They brought the water jars as Jesus said. Who knows what's going on? The slaves. Who doesn't know what's going on? The bosses. It's picked all the way through John's gospel. It begins there. But doesn't Jesus say, you are my friends if you keep my commands? In verse 14 of the text we read. Ah, finally, a transaction. We love transactional religion. I'll do something and then God will do something. And if I do enough of the things I do, God will do enough of the things I need and everything will work out. And I'll try to be very good. But if the commandment is not an order but an opening up of a world. It's as if Jesus is saying, look, if you, experience, if you acknowledge the reality of the world as it is, as God and I see it, you will just naturally experience the friendship or love of God. If you just abide in truth, friendship will just blossom. Abiding is the first and the foremost thing. It's the centre of this whole idea. It's not what you do, it's not what you say, it's not what you believe. It's just being there. It's maybe being in the way Monet's waterlilies are being. We jump to, what am I doing? How am I doing? Am I doing well? Let's do the maths test. How many points do I need to get to this? Um, it's out of 100, I've got 70, that's not good. He's got 90, that's better. What if it's not a maths test? What if it's more of an art test? Go and paint something. Let's all paint birds. Why is your bird green? Why is mine black? Why doesn't mine actually look much like a bird anyway? Well, they're the strange questions. You don't ask those questions about art. You ask the question about art is, what is it saying to me? What is the joy that I can see? What is the, the feeling behind all this? It's a different kind of abiding, different to, an, uh, to a maths test, isn't it? Because Jesus said, look, I've said all that, just remember this bit. You didn't choose me. I chose you. And I chose you to grow fruit. Last week's reading and the week before, all about the idea of something coming up out of us. It's not about survival of the fittest. It's a radically different worldview. It's not about who dies with the most toys wins. It's not about leaving it all to the market. It's not about there's no such thing as society. It's, it's about something completely different. You are already chosen. You and everybody else. Jesus' assumption is that you and I and all the world are already embraced in light and life. Remember, this is what it says right at the beginning of John's Gospel. In the beginning, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. Everything was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life. 
and light. And life and light get interchanged all the way through John's Gospel. In the beginning, was, what came into being in him was life. And the life was the light of the Uniting Church. Me? You? Oh, no. The light was the light of all people. The light, in, light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. Oh, we pretty much have to stop there, don't we, with the words of, the words of John. Abiding. What has come into being in him was life. And the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. Amen.